I'm sorry it wasn't a Christian video, but honestly, folks, there's not a whole lot of material out there on Christian friendship. So I'm just kind of making this stuff up as I go along. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, last week, this is a continuation of last week. Last week was, uh, should we have uh, sinners for friends, right? Should we have unbelieving friends? And uh, it could be yes, it could be no. This, would be a, this little video would be a good example as to why you shouldn't have unbelieving friends or sinners for friends. Because whether you realize it or not, they're toxic. They've they, they got poison running through their veins, and they're going to make you sick. There's actual studies out there that says uh, people that are engaged in these types of toxic relationships, they don't live as long as other people that have healthy relationships. So this is, we're going to be going into this a little bit deeper, actually. I've got some other major points that are in your bulletin if you want to get your bulletins out. Uh, and as, we're, as you're getting the bulletins out, if it's your first time, welcome to Granite Creek. We're really gra glad that you're here. Um, I have something to share with you. We got a prize. We got a major award. <laughs> uh, we got first place at Claremont. Yeah, for the uh, for the Fourth of July float. So, first place. And Mike's not here to. That's a bummer. Anyway, uh, he'll he'll be excited. But yeah, I got first place and third place in um, Ontario. So, good job, church. Um, other announcements. You can read your bulletin. What do you think? Okay, I'll make one major announcement. On the 11th, we're going to be doing a Mission Sunday. So we're going to be sharing about what Kid Care is doing locally and around the world. And, and just want to inform you of what we're doing. It's going to be an exciting day. Uh, there will be, after church that day, there's going to be a spaghetti dinner. And so, so if you haven't done just dinner with somebody in the church, here's your opportunity. This is it. So you, you can buy, we're, we're going to sell some tickets for the spaghetti dinner. See Adam out there in the information booth. He's got some tickets for dinner or lunch, I should say. Lunch right after church on Sunday. So you can, you can get, check that off your to-do list, okay? So I, I did just dinner, Josh. Okay, great. So there's your opportunity. But we'll also be sucking your blood that day. So um, we're going to have the, the blood truck here. So if you want to give blood for our, towards our missions program, you can also bring, you know, Stuff that you want to donate to the thrift store that day as well. The, the truck will here be here. It'll be open. It'll be a great day. So there's that. All right. Um, let's open up in prayer and we'll dig into the word. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here. I pray that everyone will be made well aware of it right now. Right now where we're sitting. Aware of the presence of God. Aware that he wants to connect with us that he wants relationship. So Father, open our minds, our ears and our eyes, all of our senses, Lord, all of our senses to receive you. May our spirits engage with you this morning. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to continue on answering this question whether we should be friends with sinners. Um, in addition to that, we're going to be looking about just kind of friendships in, in general and fr what, f what good friends do, what bad friends, well, what, what they shouldn't do, what, what friends don't do, what true friends don't do. And there's a key to this whole thing, and uh, it's going to be powerful. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 says, <clears throat> this is Paul talking, 
says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You can underline bewitched. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So they've lost track of, of the gospel. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Okay, that's important to the whole message. Did you receive the empowerment of the Spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you have heard? Underline believing. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? From what you received, what happened? Why are you now trying to obtain God's favor through human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe? Verse 6. Consider Abraham... He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, there's the whole point right there. He, we're going to end this on Abraham. See, Abraham is a very unique individual. Obviously, he's the father of the faith, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had fathers. Abraham. I could never get. I, I was. Well, I was the kid that couldn't get the movements right. I was like, I just sat down. And I was anyway. Um, but Abraham, okay, because he believed, because of his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. Was he righteous because he did good things? No. It was credited because he had this faith that was really intense. He was willing to kill his son for it, his, the, the son that he loved, that moved him into an area of trust and abandonment and, and surrender to God that we just don't quite understand. And there's nothing worse than losing a child. But what could be worse than, you know, sacrificing your own child? Really bizarre stuff. But because of his obedience and his, um, his obedience that was based in faith and not in doing, do you see the difference? Because of his obedience, because of his faith, God said, Abraham, you are my friend. Nobody else gets that in the Bible. God doesn't call anyone else in the Bible friend except for Abraham. Now, other people were able to tap into it. Moses tapped into it because he, he entered into God's presence in such courage that he was able to talk face-to-face -face with God, as the Bible says, as one talks with a friend. And there was an intimacy there. There was a dialogue that Moses had with God that was very real and not religious. He said, let's, God, God, let's, just, let's think about this before you kill everybody. Let's, just, let's, let's talk. So he was able to talk to God in an honest way. Abraham did the same thing. Abraham was able to say, look, God, let's not, let's not smoke God, Sodom and Gomorrah quite yet. Let me just find a few people that believe. Then you won't do it, right? So he was able to have these kind of real conversations with God that we just honestly, we don't do. We have religious conversations with God, fake ones. And so, see, Abraham was able, he was called the friend of God because his relationship with, it, with God was based on faith and not doing for God. 
Now, as we enter into relationships of any sort, friendships, whether, whether these people that we're trying to be friends with, whether they're unbelievers or believers, in order for, to fulfill what God has called you to do, your dreams in your life that God's called you to do. Last week, I, I asked you to, to write down. How many people were here last week? All right, not too bad. Okay, I asked you to write down uh, people in your life that are unbelievers that, that, that you're going to commit to be praying for. And then I also asked you to write down something very different, like your dreams, your ambitions, the desires in your heart. And the only rule is it can't be a religious answer. You can't say stuff like, oh, I just want to do God's will. Oh, I just want to, I just want to you know, I just want to be the servant of the Lord. Okay, you're not allowed to do that, that kind of stuff. I wanted you to write down what your desires are. One of my desires is to be like an artist someday, right? I have absolutely no skill or ability at all in art or music or anything like that. But you know what? That's a desire in my heart. Is God ever going to fulfill that desire? I doubt it. But these are like the deep, dark secrets. Like, I would love to be a famous artist someday. So what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a musician? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to have a, do you want to be the president of a company? What are the desires in your heart? Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. But what I'm getting at is I wanted you to write them down. Because there's, there's something very important to understanding what your desires of your heart are and understanding what his desires are. So I ask you to do this. And the purpose of it is, is because it's going to highlight what we value and what our friendship with God is really like. Now, when we engage friendship, when we try to attempt to fulfill our destiny and our desires and what God approves of and what he doesn't approve of, when we begin to do that, he's going to put three types of people in your life, three categories of friends. The first category is the highest. It's what we all secretly desire. We want to obtain. We want a deep, meaningful Friendship. It could even be a, a marriage, right? But we, we desire that intimacy with, with, with somebody. And right now we're not talking about marriage, but we're just talking about re- friendship, relationship stuff. Uh, Mako talked about the concept of hesed. Hesed, I don't know how to say it. Hesed. Um, hesed is a Hebrew word for friendship. It's the friendship that David and Jonathan had that was unconditional and one of equals, and they both had their best interests in mind, regardless of the circumstances. In, in a political sense, in a worldly sense, these two guys should have been mortal enemies. They should have wished the ill of each other, but they didn't. So even if David would have completely failed, if Saul would have gotten away and had murdered him and killed him, or would have disgraced him, Jonathan would have still remained his friend, no matter what the outcome was. So his said friend is a, is a deep confidant. And if you have two or three of these, by the time you're on your deathbed, you're, you're extremely blessed because they're very rare. And they're extremely rare in our society. 
we don't have these types of friendships anymore. Most of, most of us in this room don't have that type of friendship. But God has designed us that way. He wants it for us. So that's one area. So it is this confidant person that no matter what happens, you guys are going to be tight. That friend is, here's the key, that friend is into you. Do you have somebody that is into you? All right. The next level down, the next other type of important friends that we'll have on this planet and that are important and that they are, they are godly, it's going to, I call it um, the teammate friend. So you guys are all on the same team and you all have a specific goal that you want to obtain. But the, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, like, I use this illustration. I'll just do it again. So do you have Dodger fans in here? Yep. Okay, we've got a few Dodger fans. Okay, so I don't like sports. But let's say, it's, let's pretend I'm a Dodger fan. And this is, the, this is what Teresa and I have in common. This is what we have built our friendship around. And we did a lesson on this too. That ought to be one of the things that defines a relationship. What defines a relationship should be the thing that you have in common. True friends say, yeah, you too, I, I love that. Let's hang out. So Teresa and I have the Dodgers in common, and I don't know, let's say, who plays on the Dodgers? Who's some famous guy? Did he, did he get a touchdown last week? What, what? I, know. I know. A little overboard there. Okay, sorry. Okay, just give me somebody famous on the Dodgers. What's his name? Matt who? Matt Kemp. Let's say Matt Kemp gets traded, but I'm a big old fan, and then I decide not to be a Dodger fan anymore because they traded my favorite player. Now, all of a sudden, Teresa and I don't have anything in common anymore. <gasps> what are we going to do? What are we going to base our friendship on? Right? See, the team friendship, the... Uh, People, when you're working together for a common goal, uh, you're not into that person, you're into the goal. Right? That's what church ought to be like. It's okay to have this. You go to church because we're all into Jesus. That's what we have in common. And we're all heading in the same direction. And you are my friend because we have the, the same goal. We want to see the kingdom of heaven expressed on the earth. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see people saved. We want to see your friends and your sinners come to faith. These are the things that we have in common. So we have a very strong bond, right? But let's just say I have a crisis in faith, and I no longer believe in God. Well, we've got a problem then, don't we? So you see that? So there's a common interest that keeps you together. Now, you're going to have friends that are going to leave you because the common interest has fallen apart. It's deteriorated. Or maybe they traded up. They're still heading to the same direction, but they traded up. Like they've made friends that, that have a stronger drive and a stronger passion for the goal, and now they're going to now be friends with them. And we feel too much heartbreak and pain because we feel like somebody stabbed us in the back. Maybe they have, but for your own sanity. Figure out what kind of friends you have 
it is okay to place them in a category, to go ahead and draw boundaries now. Are they, is this person a Hassad friend where no matter what they do, I'm, I'm about them. I'm not necessarily about the goal, but I'm about them. Or is it, you know, the goal? We're going to achieve this goal as a team, as, and we're going to do it together. Third category is an interesting one. The third category would be uh, the strange bedfellows. It's, um, uh, it's uh, I'm going to put it in the military terms because this is the best illustration I can get, but uh, it's like the comrade. Okay, you know that, well... You know that in World War II, we were comrades with the Soviets. They were our allies. We had a common enemy. Nazis hate those guys. The Soviets hate those guys too. So we had a common enemy. We didn't have a common goal. We definitely didn't have each each other's best interests in mind. The only thing that bound us together was our common enemy. And so you can have have a relationship with people that have a common enemy. They don't have a common goal, but you can partner with somebody. They can help you fulfill your destiny in Christ because they have a common enemy. All right, this is going to be a little bit controversial, but I'm going to go ahead and go there, all right? For the church, I, 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 love, I love the Mormon church. I love Mormons. I think they're the sweetest people on the planet. But we have some major differences in theology that are deal breakers for me. I believe that Jesus Christ is divine. I believe in his divinity. He is co-equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's a deal breaker for me. That's the direction I'm going in. They have a different approach to Jesus. They don't think that he is co-equal with the Father. In fact, they think that uh, Jesus and Satan are brothers. I've got a problem with that. I've got a theological problem with that, right? So we're heading in two different directions, but we share a common enemy. They have an incredible amount of compassion for families. So do I. Does that make sense? So they want to see strong families that built in the community. So do I. We have a common enemy. The common enemy is the destruction of the family unit. So we can partner up. We can be on the same team. We can be comrades in order to defeat that foe. But what happens when you defeat the foe? What happened to us and the Soviets as soon as we defeated the Nazis? Immediately, we started fighting them, right? So I just want you to be aware of it. God can use somebody that has a different goal but a common enemy in your life, and it can help you fulfill your purpose and your desire in life. That makes sense? So there are those three categories. Okay, get your bulletins out. We're going to be looking at some of these other specific steps on what friends don't do. What friends don't do. Specifically, those first two tiered friends that we just talked about. When you are dealing with toxic friendships, when you, are, when you are working with being friends with unbelievers or sinners, this is, what, this is how you'll know that you're being overly, influ- overly influenced or being weak in certain areas. 
you need, to, you need to be aware of these telltale signs. Some of them were on the video. We're going to go into them a little bit more in depth. The first thing that friends don't do is friends don't control. Friends don't control. You might have a common interest, a common goal. Your friend might have a different opinion about that. And they can use lots of different things to manipulate you. You need to be aware of it. They can use guilt to manipulate you. They can use shame to manipulate you. They can use your success to manipulate you. They can even use the book. You ever been around people like this that use scripture to manipulate you? So you have to be aware of this. There's wisdom in knowing what people are trying to do. Now let's I'll read the scripture specifically on this one. Uh, This is Nahum, chapter 3, verse 4. All because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistresses of sorceries who enslaved nations. Okay? Slavery. Think about that for a second. Who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her Witchcraft. Witchcraft. So if you have a desire to control, to manipulate, to get people to do things for you, whether you're, you're using guilt and shame to do it or whether you're using the Bible to do it, it's a really bad word called witchcraft. It's like getting the voodoo doll out and, and making it move its arms. Some people have power over other people to do such things. And some people are emotionally vulnerable enough and they desire friendship and they desire connection so much that they're willing to be manipulated in order to have that void filled. Be careful of that. Next thing that uh, friends don't do is they don't fake it. They don't fake it. And Job chapter 13 says, You, however, you smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. What's he saying? Okay, I got to tell you the story. I got to tell you the story of Job real quick. Uh, Job is just an interesting study. If you're bored this week, if you're looking for a Bible study this week, if you want to understand the complexities of, of, of the human condition, read Job and maybe take some Prozac. Okay, so... Um, it, it's a difficult book to read, but it's so rich and it's so insightful. And if you pay attention to it line by line, you will see Jesus in it, as you should no matter what Old Testament scripture you read. Jesus is in, he's between the lines. But he's very prominent in Job. Job is one of the oldest scrolls or texts that we have. And uh, it's very profound. Anyway, Job is, um, uh, it's a courtroom setting. Uh, Satan approaches God's court and says, you're not being fair. You're just, you're just the puppet master. No one down there really loves you. And the only reason why people love you is because you give them stuff. You make them happy. And God says, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one else like him in the land. He's rich. He's wealthy. He's faithful. He's obedient. He is righteous. And the devil says, oh yeah? 
give me, give, me a, give me a couple of days with him and we'll see how righteous he is. And so this is a very troubling, very interesting scripture because God says, okay, and he removes, we call it a hedge. He removes this hedge of protection off of Job. Did you know that if you've been doing this Jesus thing, if you've accepted him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, that you have a hedge of protection over you and your family and your house right now? Like, you, there, if you didn't have that hedge, you might have gotten hit by that car this week. You might be dead right now. Horrible things could have happened to you that you had no idea that were going to happen. But the God of grace that loves you, he's got a hedge of protection over you and your family. And he's holding back the hand of the devourer because you belong to him. And you have said so from your mouth and the way you live your life. And you've publicly been baptized. You've done these things. You said, yes, I want that hedge of protection. Well, Job had that the richest guy on the planet. He had a lot of beautiful kids. He was very happy. His wife, I don't know, let's just say his wife was incredibly good looking too. It doesn't say that. I'm making that up. Um, but you get my point, right? He had everything going for him. God was on his side. God takes away his protection and the devil has his way with him. Horrible, horrible, unspeakable, thinkable things happens to Job. His kids die. And there's nothing more tragic than the loss of a child. His kids die. He loses all of his wealth, all of his property in an instant. It's gone. His world is completely turned upside down. He's grieving to the point where, you know, he's, he's shaving his head and all, of them, all these afflictions happen to his body. He gets all these diseases. He's like, what is going on? And he's broken completely broken and he's sitting in ashes he's tearing his clothes he's i mean he doesn't he's processing the emotions that he has and he's got these three friends these three friends that show up and they do what you desire your friends to do when you're down and out they show up they shut up and they just sit and they are there with you and they're just silently mourning with you and weeping with you. And that's what Job's three friends did. But, but, they were not said friends. They were not out after Job's best interests. They weren't about Job. They said they were. They acted like they were, but they weren't for Job. They were, they were team players. They, were, they had another goal in mind. And what begins to come out of Job's so-called friends is that they're trying to process this thing, and they're thinking about it in rational, logical terms, and they're like, man, this is bad. Bad things are happening to Job. Therefore, Job must have some sin in his life. What did you do, Job? You need to confess. You need to, you need to, you need to get this thing cleared out. And they start going after him and going after him and going after him. And Job's response is like, shut up. You guys are false friends. You're false physicians. You're not here to make me feel better. You're here for another agenda. I don't quite sure I know what it is, but it's not for my well-being. 
it is for your betterment or it's for your, you know, trying to figure out what, why the goal hasn't been reached or whatever it might be, but it's not for me and you guys are not helping me. Have you been in this situation? Have you been in a situation where your friends don't have what you need? They're false friends. They're fake. In order for us to grow as individuals into our faith, in order for us to have a fullness of this Christian lifestyle, we have to be real, first of all, with ourselves. We got to know who we are. As that cute little video showed, we have to love ourselves on certain a level. You really got to have, you got to know who you are. You got to know what makes you tick. You got to know what you're capable of and where your weaknesses are. You have to know thyself. And if you don't know who you are, you're not going to know God fully because you're coming at God with a false face. You're coming at him fake. And if you come at him fake pretending to be something that you're not, it's just like having a friend that's trying to be something that they're not in order to get your favor or in order to get the popular kid's favor. Does that make sense? You have to be real, not only with yourself, not only with the individuals that you're around. You have to be real with God, too. So you can't fake it. Next thing you can't do is you can't, friends don't kiss and tell. You know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time about on this because it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Proverbs 11, 13. A gad about gossip can't be trusted with a secret, but someone of integrity won't violate a confidence. So if you are integral, if you are whole, if you are strong emotionally and strong spiritually, you, you know how to keep secrets. You know how to keep things inside even though you want to get them out. Because that's our culture, right? We love to gossip. We have gossip columns. We have full-blown gossip magazines. We have full-blown gossip blogs. Uh, it, gossip is, is now so prevalent in our society that it doesn't even seem like a bad word anymore. Biblically, it's, it's up there with some of the worst words you can think of. You know, we... Um, all right. We say, oh, this person is such a sinner because they've fallen morally into sexual sin and they're doing this perverted sin and they're, you know, this person is a thief and, and they're, they're, they're a drunkard and they're, you know, they need to be kicked out of the church, okay? You, they, you've seen scripture that supports this. You need to kick them out of the church. You know what else is in there? Along with those, that litany list, that litany list of, of perverted sexual sin and thievery and drunkenness, gossip, what? It's, it's, it's right up there with the worst of the worst. Gossip's a killer, and, and, and it's a sneaky one, too, because sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing it, because you just, I don't know, you like to talk a lot, and it just kind of comes out, you know, and you just don't have control over your mouth, and, and so I don't want to beat you up until you're going to hell because you're gossiping, but um, just watch what you say. Um, how do you know, this is the rule in our church, how do you know if you're gossiping or if you're spreading rumors or spreading gossip? Uh, if you are not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, then you are what? Gossiping. There's the rule right there. You've got to be a part of the solution, a part of the problem, and if you're not, mind your own business. All right. 
Psalms 41, 4. All the while gathering gossip about me to entertain the street corner. Because gossip is entertaining, right? These friends who hate, hate me, they whisper slanders all over town. And they form committees to plan for misery. Has a committee ever done anything good, by the way? Just curious. Uh, the Committee on Forming Committees Committee? Sorry. Next thing that they do is friends don't keep silent. Friends don't keep silent. And I'll make, an, I'll make a, a distinction on this one too. Your said friend, your spiritual blood brother or blood sister friend shouldn't keep silent. Yes, in mourning, the best thing that you can do is just keep your mouth shut and cry and, and hug on them, right? But if there's something going on in your life that is keeping you from fulfilling your destiny or what God has called you to do, your Hesed friend, Hesed friend, excuse me, has the right, and if they love you, they're going to get in your face and they're going to speak up. Why? Because they are all about you. They want to see you succeed. They want to see you win. They want to see you blessed. And most of the time in our friendships, even in the team ship friendships, we really don't want to see our friends blessed. Deep down inside, we want to see them fail because we want to make sure that we're better than they are. So you have to be careful who you let into your life to speak up and to get in your face. I have somebody that does it. I don't like it. But I know this person has my best interests in mind. He wants me to be better because he has a vision for my life. He sees Josh now but he also sees the Josh that's formed into the likeness of Christ that's down the road. He wants to see that formed. Again, it's very rare that we have these types of people in our lives. Okay, they don't keep silent. Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. All right, this is a fun one. Friends don't hold grudges. Proverbs 19, 7. Overlook an offense and bond a friendship. Okay, look, here's the thing. We are human beings. We're fouled. We're imperfect. We say stupid things. We unintentionally hurt people. You're going to hurt your spouse. You're going to hurt your kids. You're going to hurt your, your, your friends. And you might not even know that you're doing it. You're going to get hurt over and over and over again. People are going to be in your life. They're going to rub up against you, and you're going to get your feelings hurt. That's life. But if you take that offense and if you lock it in that safe and if you keep it there in your back pocket ready to pull it out whenever you want to use it against that person, well, you're going to lose that friendship because they can't trust you. You've got to let things roll off your back half the time. There might be some backhanded compliments. You know what, you know what those are, right? Maybe you need to address the backhanded compliments, but the unintentional stuff, let it go, folks. Pick your battles. Some things aren't worth fighting over. And don't harbor the bitterness. Don't harbor that stuff. Fasten on to a slight, and you can say goodbye to your friend. 
All right, next point. Friends, don't abandon Proverbs 14.10. The person who shuns the bitter moments of friends will be an outsider at their celebration. And then Proverbs 2.16. Wise friends will rescue you from the temptress, that smooth-talking seductress who's faithless to the husband she married years ago. She never gave a second thought to her promise. Okay, so friends don't abandon. Friends will actually rescue. So you can get this from your team members. You have a common goal. You got Jesus in mind. That's what you're going for. You, you know, you might not necessarily be about them, but you're about Jesus. You've got the same goal. You should rescue your brothers and sisters when they start having a hard time. Don't abandon them when things go bad. They start, you know, they, they get the... The Murphy's Law on them. You know what you know, I'm talking about? You ever experienced Murphy's Law or the Job Syndrome? I just, I just made that up, by the way. Um, it's like, oh, just i got to stay away from you. Bad things are happening. I don't want it to rub off on me. That's very painful to go through. When things are going good, you have lots of friends, and they're hanging around you. But you know, you get a little negativity in your life or some things just don't go your way, you're having a bad week, and then your friends, like, start to distance yourself, start to emotionally disconnect from you, that's not a good friend. They need to come in. They need to rescue you. They need to pull you out. Last point. Uh, friends don't come free. All throughout the Old Testament and the Scriptures, friendship and fellowship is a sacrifice going to cost you something. You want that deep dark, you want that deep friendship? You don't want, you're, you're done with the surface. You know, let's hang out. Let's play video games. Let's party friendship. But you want that deep friendship where you can tell your friend anything? Are you looking for somebody to confess your sin to so that you can be set free? I'm going to tell you something. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you emotions. It's going to cost you your mind, because you're going to have to think about things that you haven't thought about before. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. Uh, John 15, 3. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So we get into this, this rhythm or this thought that, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice. And it is a sacrifice. Again, it's going to cost you time, energy, money, emotions. It's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice. And we walk into our relationship with God almost at the same attitude. Like, I'm going to be, God, I'm going I'm to sacrifice all these things for you. I used to have fun, and I'm going to shed my pagan friends. And it's such a sacrifice because I no longer have fun anymore. I hope that you, you hope oh God, I hope you realize how much I've sacrificed for you. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? God, I used to make so much money, but now that I'm in church and I have to do this Bible thing, I have to conduct myself ethically in business. I can't cheat on my numbers anymore, and now it's affected my bottom line. And, well, God, I just want you to know how much I have sacrificed for you. See, that's, that's, that is the wrong attitude to have. But the willingness to go into a relationship where you truly have that individual's best interest in mind. I had an experience a long time ago. You don't know this person, 
but it is a close friend of mine. And, you know, I wasn't quite sure what category the, the individual fell into. Was he a teammate or was he a confidant? Was he that said friend? You know, where we just like, you know, doing stuff together, heading towards the goal, and, you know, we're just, we, we have fun together. We tell jokes and stuff, right? Or, you know, is this an individual that I can be completely transparent with and trust? Well, he had the first move. We were hanging out one time. He said, Josh, I need to share something with you. I'm like, all right, shoot. And he's like, I'm dealing with this. And it hasn't materialized. It hasn't manifested yet. But this is where I am. This is what I'm flirting with. Okay, I'm not going to tell you the details, but I'm going to tell you this. It was big, and it was bad, and it was hairy, and if it had materialized, if it had came full circle into fruition, it would erect his marriage instantly, and it would erect his career instantly, and he's sharing this with me. And I'm like, oh, I, oh, Let's talk about the Dodgers, okay? Because I am forced, now I am forced to decide what friendship category I'm going to fall into. And am I going to be said, where if this thing does go south, if he derails his life, am I going to maintain my friendship with him? Or is the common goal Jesus, and when things go bad, we don't have anything in common. So he's letting me into a very intimate area of his life. And uh, it took a long time. It took a lot of prayer. He didn't derail his life. There was restoration. But the point is, he let me in on a level that was very deep and he trusted and it's a scary thing because for me, it cost my ability to think. It cost time. It's like, okay, if, I, if, I, uh, if we're going to be confidants, i got to be in, in the long haul. If you completely fall away from the Lord, I'm still, i still got to be your friend. I will be there because we're equals on some level. We're, 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 I'm into you. You see that? I'm into you no matter what you do. And so there was the, there was the rub there. And uh, it's difficult because it does cost. I had to be willing to go into his environment Okay, Jesus saves, right? Repeat after me. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. All right. I had to be willing to go into his environment, into his dark place, and rescue him. That was my assignment. You see that? Because I'm into him. I'm not into the goal. I'm into him. And it was hard. It took a lot of time. And, you know, I, and then again, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But I had to get in his face. And he allowed me to do it. All right. 
How do we do this? How do we do all these points? How do you, how do you maintain not only friendships with believers and whatever camp they might be in, how do you maintain uh, or how do you engage friends with unbelievers? How do you know what camp that you are in? Last week, the two camps were maybe you shouldn't be having unbelievers as friends because they're toxic and they're going to pull you down. And I brought up some very specific scriptures that said, if you are friends with the world, you are enemies with God. Pretty heavy stuff, right? Okay, how many people were here? What's my opinion on having friends with sinners? I'm for it, folks. I'm for it. That, that, is, that is our assignment. That is our goal. We need to engage them. We need to pull them in. If we need to get ourselves spiritually healthy enough to walk into their environment and not be influenced and not be weakened and not be controlled and manipulated and torn down. That's, what, that's God's desire for us in our life. The key to it is to do what Abraham did. We do all the friendship stuff here, but what God wants is he wants us to be friends with him first. He wants us to be friends. That's where the power comes from. That's where the confidence comes from. That's where the, the insulation that you need to walk into a toxic environment and to win. That cute little video that we watched, they don't teach you that. Only the Bible teaches you that. The Bible says he can transform you into an agent of change. Where those negative things, those, those toxic things, they don't make you sick. You have the authority to walk in and take dominion over what the devil has done. This week, I, uh, it's Friday. I had, uh, within 10 minutes, I encountered, okay, you guys okay? Just, uh, hang on, just bear with me just for a second. It's going to be a little strange. Within 10 minutes, in Ontario, I encountered two demon-possessed people. Not demonized, full-blown demon-possessed people. And for some of you, that might seem really strange and scary because we have all these horror movies on this stuff. For me, it's a little bit different. I've been exposed to it to a certain level, and... I'm not saying my relationship with God is perfect, but it is good enough to know what that was. And for me, I take it seriously, but I also find it comical. Because whenever the kingdom of Satan is made manifest, whenever there's an expression of demonic force, it means that we are doing something right. So I'm greatly encouraged when I see this stuff. Oh, God must be on the move because somebody's not happy. I like it. So for me, it's comical. I'm like, really? Really? You're going to scare me with this? No. That confidence comes from a relationship with God that's based not on doing for God, not, you hanging on, not on serving him, I believe that we ought to serve, that we ought to completely sacrifice and surrender. But my relationship with God is not based on servitude. 
It's not based on slavery. Slaves don't win battles. Slaves and servants don't win spiritual battles. You know who wins spiritual battles? Princes, princesses, Joan of Arc does, okay? And we have, most, most Christians have this mindset, though I just have to be obedient, I have to do my to-do list, I have to serve God in order for him to have favor on me so that he likes me, so that he gives me stuff. Half the time, we spend our Christian walk asking God to take away pain instead of telling God what we're excited about. He knows what your pain is. He knows what you want before you ask. Well, and we ask anyway, but why don't we tell God what we're excited about, what our heart's desires are? We don't express that to him, usually. We usually express what we want or what our, where our pain is. We spend a majority of our Christian walk avoiding pain rather than embracing a friendship or embracing what God's excited about. All right, let me explain through an illustration. Who, uh, how does the, the, the nerd in high school get from getting beat up? What does the nerd do in order that he doesn't get beat up going down the halls? First service didn't get it either, so don't worry if you don't. You have no nerd? No? Okay. Well, when I was in high school, you guys remember? The, the, uh, the, the kid that didn't have power on the campus, he builds a friendship with the jock and does his homework. The other guys, they walk in fear and terror down the halls because they're going to get shoved in the locker. I, I was shoved in the locker once. I'll admit that. Freshman year wasn't fun. Anyway, I, I got a, some inner healing things to <laughs> take place. Anyway, um, I know, poor Josh. Um, but you see, when you are friends with the big man on campus, guess who leaves you alone? Everybody. And so instead of us spending all of our time avoiding pain, running down the halls trying to avoid pain, what God is really wants us to do, what he's invited us into, is to actually form an affection, to form a friendship, to form a bond with him. And then he takes care of everything else. But most of the time, we live in a slave-servant mentality when we ought to be living in a friend mentality. Or, I'm a son and I'm a daughter of Christ. I'm co-heirs with Christ. I share the throne with him. He's invited us into that type of, I don't know what that is, to tell you the truth. But he's invited us into something that powerful. So we have power in our lives. But in order to access it, we have to change the way that we approach God in prayer, the way that we engage him, and it needs to be like you engage a friend. Here's your take-home thing on your little outline. The way that we see Jesus, what did I say, by the way? Okay, okay. your relationship with Jesus 
is going to mirror your relationship with your friends. I made that up too, by the way. But you're, you're, if you think about it, the way that you engage your friends and what they're into and what they're not into or what they can do for you, how they can advance your career, how you can win friends and influence people. You guys read that book? Okay, if that is your approach to friends, that's going to be your approach to God. Are they there to help me achieve my goals or am I into them? And when we approach God, we need to be into him and not how he's going to fulfill my goals or how he's going to help me. You see, if God is our friend, we need to be passionate about what he's into rather than trying to obey him so he doesn't give us a spanking. Does that make sense? So my friend that just about train wrecked his life, I am into him. Now, I, I, we're still really close with him, by the way. And you know what I'm into? That, that stuff is over. We don't talk about that anymore because it's dead it's gone. We have victory over it. He doesn't deal with it anymore. If it does creep up, he tells me. But for the most part, that area in his life is done and there's victory over sin. Gone. He has other dreams. He has other visions. I see them. I am into them. I want to pour into him. I want to make sure that he achieves what he wants to do, his spiritual destiny. I ought to be able to transfer that passion into my relationship with God. God, what are you into? What are you excited about? God, where, where are you moving? I want to be excited about what you're excited about. And see, that's the difference between law and what Abraham learned the secret of, belief. The hardest thing that we do in our Christian walk is to believe. To be friends. I have the band come on up to the front and the ushers. How do you know that you're a confidant, that you're a Hassad friend? Will you do whatever it takes to see your friends succeed? With whatever you have, whatever God's given you, will you do whatever it takes to see, God, to see them succeed? Do you feel the same way about God? Will you do whatever it takes to see God's kingdom advanced? Because you, you love them, you're, you're passionate about it? Are you willing to pay a, a price, a cost? Deep friendship. Deep friendship with individuals and deep friendship with God is costly. It's costly. Do you want it? That's the question. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this group of believers. And God, if there's people in here that don't know you, I pray that they will be quickened, that they will be drawn. God, as we seek you, as we engage you, as we engage others, God, I pray that our relationship with others, that we will realize that that's, that's, the, that's the thermostat that, that, has our, that determines our relationship with you. God, I pray that you will forgive us for trying to control you, for trying to manipulate you to our will. 
for trying to harbor ill towards you because things didn't go the way we planned them to go. God, I pray that you would forgive us for putting on a false face in front of you, for being somebody that we're not when we try to approach you in prayer or approach you in worship. God, I pray for the most part, I pray that we would just be real, that we have a real conversation with you, that we'll drop the Christianese, and that we'll be able to talk with you like Abraham did, like Moses did, like David did. Give us that ability. Show us how to be better friends with you. Bless this offering to its extent, God. May this church be a friend of God, and may this church be a friend to sinners. Give us compassion for the lost. We love you.